been nothing but a bunch of bad news for Oklahoma ever since the Sooners lost the Peach Bowl. Let's see. Uh, CeeDee Lamb gone to the NFL. Brock Vandergriff decommits from Oklahoma, says he wants to stay closer to home. Kenneth Murray gone to the NFL. But the Sooners finally landed a quarterback for 2020, breaking the cycle of bad news. If you've been listening to this podcast going to pat myself on the back here, particularly listening to me. <laughs> Somebody said Chandler Morris would be a member of the Oklahoma Sooners football class, uh, this 2020 class. We're going to jump into all of that. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Holfett along with Rich DeCray. And uh, happy Man, New Year. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, no. That's I just a little bit it. breaking just, the norm yeah, for us. Yeah, just making sure you were you were awake. Um, happy New Year. First time Rich and I have been able to get together. Big thanks to uh, Craig for filling in over the weekend in Richard's absence. Um, Rich, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about the Peach Bowl, so I guess we'll start there. Um, Craig and I feel like broke it down pretty well and talked about a lot of things. But I'd love to kind of hear some of your closing thoughts on – on <laughs> Oklahoma's devastation in Atlanta here. I, Annihilation is why I did the uh, recap annihilation in Atlanta. So I, I we'll honestly, honestly felt as though the coaching staff summed it up for me. There was some pointing towards the talent disparity, looking at the depth chart and realizing one, there's not a lot of experience there, but two, the players that are available within the secondary specifically just don't exist regardless of the talent. So of course there's a little bit of the talent disparity on the defensive side of the ball. You knew that it was putting an improving defense against the best offense in the country. That in my mind was a recipe for disaster. I felt as though early on Oklahoma would need to get a couple of stops and they would need to grind out the clock by sustained long drives that resulted in not just field goals, but touchdowns. That didn't happen at all, I felt like, really in the first half. Sure, Oklahoma scores 14 points, seven in each quarter, so we could break it down and look at it from that angle as well. But there weren't any of those long, sustained drives. You obviously get the score on the long pass and reception to C.D. Lamb from Jalen Hurts. Needless to say, this... I wasn't expecting the score, but this was the outcome that I, I believe a majority of people expected unless they were simply looking through those crimson colored glasses and saying, you know what? The glasses still have full in this situation. Now, when you say the outcome, you mean losing. You, you, yeah, you yeah, don't losing. mean getting mm-hmm. thrashed, right? Yeah, because I was. I remember you and I talking. We, we both picked Oklahoma to lose this mm-hmm. game, but we didn't have them – you know, giving up 49 points in the first half. Yeah, and I thought it would be a competitive game that that LSU would win by very close to what the spread was. I just didn't know if they were going to be on the nose, slightly over or slightly under, but I expected it to be a two-score game. 10 points, 13 points, I felt like was right on the money for Las Vegas which is why I say the the 10 points, because that's more along the lines of what I expected. The game plan that Oklahoma was coming in with, we expected a heavy dose of running. Oklahoma simply couldn't get anything to go in their favor, much less the calls. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Let let me preface that by saying the officiating had nothing to do with the outcome of this game. I'm looking at the one missed call where Jaden Hazelwood is – He's pulled by right, the arm. Right. And, and that was egregious. And then the but, ball hits him in the chest. 
I think it hit him in the leg. But it whatever. hit him in the body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing. And, and yet, that was an egregious I – mean, the officiating across the board – I think is getting worse. I, 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 for a long time, I've just thought the Big 12 is terrible. But I've watched a lot of a, a lot of bowl games. This is the most bowl games I've watched in the last couple of years, mostly because I'm here in the United States and I get to watch them. But across the board, officiating has been bad. But that was egregious. But and I, and I talked to a guy just yesterday um, who told me, just straight told me, if they make if if the officials make the right call there, Oklahoma wins this game. And I'm just going, how? how? Yeah, there's yeah, no How way. can it, you? It may have put an extra score on the board, but it, it's still, you're all, all of a sudden to 35. You're halfway, mm-hmm. basically, to halfway to what LSU's output was. Well, and here's the thing, is that people, the reaction to this game has been, uh, not across the board, but the, I guess I should say the shocking reactions to this game. Have been there, and there's it, it's a large group of people who feel the officials lost the game for Oklahoma, or who feel like the coaching staff needs to be fired because this is embarrassing. And if <laughs> if if you're in that camp, no, that's good. That's good. No, seriously, if you're in that camp, thank you for listening to our podcast. First of all, but you don't know football. I mean, there is no scheme. There is, and I I see now I'm all riled up again. I mentioned this in the, in the uh, post-game podcast. Do you remember what Alex Grinch said about the safeties back in the, in the summer? He was like, hey, we've got two guys. Beyond these two guys, Delarian Turner-Yell being one of them, beyond these two guys, we don't have any depth at safety. And there is no defensive scheme that you can come up with that puts an, an inexperienced safety on the field against the best wide receiving core in the country with the best quarterback in the country. They just destroyed Justin Broyles and the kid. I mean, and we talked about it leading up to the game, rich. He was the guy I highlighted. He needs to hear his name called for good reasons. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter what the offense did. It really didn't. I, I didn't, I, I was not a fan of, of the offense. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that Lincoln Riley trusted his offensive line to really just kind of hammer the ball on LSU, which is what I think everybody thought needed. That was your best chance. Um, Lincoln Riley just and wanted it, to come out swinging, and I just Georgia tried to do that against LSU. It, let me let me rephrase that. Georgia came up with a perfect game plan with the wrong quarterback in tow against LSU. And it was a heavy dose of the run. They didn't score a lot of points, but Jake Fromm is not a mobile quarterback. You can go back. I believe it was Ole Miss that had a lot of success there against LSU. They just couldn't stop LSU from scoring. I believe they scored 38 points by running the ball from the quarterback position. Now, if the defense gets a couple stops, we may be having a completely different conversation here, and we may not even be looking at Oklahoma having played LSU in the college football playoff. But that's neither here nor there. Here's what I'll say really to wrap up my thoughts about the college football playoff, more specifically about the Peach Bowl. As we began the season, we knew that the University of Oklahoma was inheriting a proven winner at the quarterback position. I believe it's a large reason why Oklahoma had success 
in some of the games that they had success in, most specifically against Baylor in Waco late in the season. I don't think that happens if Jalen Hurts isn't the signal caller in that situation. However, I also have the notion leading up to this season that this was a rebuilding year. This was a year where, yes, Oklahoma was still expected to compete for a Big 12 championship. Yes, Oklahoma was expected to be in the national title hunt, but they never really proved themselves to be an elite team throughout the course of the season, which brings me back to that initial statement of this was a rebuilding year. It was to produce depth and experience. We knew what we had for the most part in the starters especially on the offensive side of the ball, minus the offensive line. But we knew what we had coming into the season, and we knew what this team was capable of. Our hope was that they exceeded it, and by all means, that one loss I know was very gut-wrenching for a lot of people, but Oklahoma got to where I think they expected to be. You head into the playoff as the four teams are selected immediately, Everyone removes Oklahoma from actually being one of the contenders or one of the teams that has separated themselves from the rest of the field. And instead, we're looking at LSU, number one, Ohio State, number two, and Clemson, number three, as the leading candidates to take home a championship this year. So I default back to what I've said twice now. We'll make this a third time and that this was a rebuilding year. And as you begin to take that vantage point, I don't know how you can't be pleased with the outcome of the season and the product on the field, knowing that this is a group that's going to continue to grow. They've been there now. It's going to make these young guys hungry to return to that and prove that they've actually got what it takes to bring home that eighth national championship. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's a, a, a great point. You're talking about the rebuilding year and it goes back to something I said you and I agreed on a while back in that this is Lincoln Riley's best coaching job. Now I 63 to 28 is never what you want as your final product, but you can't, especially these people out here calling for Alex Grinch to be fired, Lincoln Riley to be fired. Look, you can't, you can't make this judgment based off of the end, this, this game, you, you got to do the whole body of work. And when you consider the fact they lost four starting offensive linemen to the NFL from last year's team. They lost the Heisman Trophy quarterback. They lost Marquise Hollywood Brown, who was, I believe, one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver in the country. Look what he did in the NFL this season. And they're saying in the NFL, he's still not 100% healthy. Well, I'm just saying, you, you, you lose all of that. And then, in the season... You lose Grant Calcaterra, who was – go back to August. Everyone was talking about Grant Calcaterra having an all-conference, potentially all-American type yeah, season. And I, I believe he would have been one of the guys we were waiting on an NFL decision you, for. You lose Trey Sermon. Mm-hmm. And you still have this team as a Big 12 champion and in the playoff. Now, again, the playoff 63-28 to 28 is never what you want. But understanding – ask Texas how long it takes to rebuild because we're still waiting. 2009 was was over a decade ago. I keep saying that. We're still waiting. Mm-hmm. But this is a quote rebuilding year for the University of Oklahoma, and you're still in, you're still Big 12 champ, and you're still in the playoffs. If you can't look at that and say this guy did a heck of a job coaching, then you're. I mean, I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to the podcast, but you don't know football. 
I'm going to follow that up with another statement because I know <laughs> essentially the, the talking point and the only thing I want to talk about when we begin to reference the Peach Bowl is what happened in the the final few plays because it wasn't Tanner Mordecai stepping onto the field. Yeah, we're about to jump into that. It was Spencer Rattler. And this is how I wanted to end this, Matt, was simply by saying if we buy in to that same hype, just because the college football playoff has included Oklahoma for the past three years, if we buy into that in 2020, it's not that it's impossible to make it. I think it's improbable at this point in time. And I don't I don't want to be one of the fans who's sitting there absolutely upset and beside myself because we have a first-year starter at quarterback and didn't make the playoff in 2020. 2021 is a different story. That's the year that I'm looking forward you to. You heard it here first. Rich DeCray says the Sooners will not make the big the playoffs in 2020. I didn't say and that. He says I they're said a long improbable. shot. A long shot to win their sixth consecutive Big 12 champion. The Sooners <laughs> might as well not even fill the team Whatever. in 2020. We heard that to the going to the yes, Peach Bowl too. We did. All right. Let's talk quarterbacks. Um, you let's start with the Peach Bowl. You you brought it up. Craig and I talked about it a little bit. I'm just I'm just waiting for the moment. You said this wouldn't happen, so I, I wanted to talk to you mm. about this. I'm waiting for the moment that Tanner Mordecai's name hits the transfer portal. I think it's going to be after spring, sometime between spring and summer. Kid's gone. I, that's just me. I, I think the Peach Bowl proved it. You see Spencer Rattler coming out there for that garbage time. Everyone saw Tanner Mordecai's face. That was not the face of, man, we're getting beat 63 to 28. That was the face of, why is he out there and not me? So I think a little bit of coach speak went in post game. I don't know if you had an opportunity to read through the comments. I know you typically do a um, what was said, but you've really switched to just focusing on Twitter and what Twitter's producing in the post game. Because Twitter's more fun. It is. It really is. But Lincoln Riley had mentioned, I believe it was Lincoln Riley, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but had mentioned the number of snaps that Mordecai had received throughout the duration of the season in comparison to Spencer Rattler, who, by the way, when he entered the Peach Bowl, entered his third game mm -hmm. as a true freshman. There's some validity to his statement, but the reasoning is completely off base. If you're asking me as a fan, it wasn't to say we're trying to get him reps with the first team or trying to get him in game experience before we put Tanner Mordecai in. It was more so saying this is the future and we're selling it because we've bought in and what we've seen in practices. Now it's your turn, regardless of what Lincoln Riley says about experience. Most or a majority of the people I've talked to, Matt, have said they believe Spencer Rattler was the future from day one. As soon as he stepped onto campus, it was he is the future of this football team. And everyone immediately put Tanner Mordecai on the back burner. So to answer your question, I think there's going to be a lot of coach speak going on given the current recruiting trend that has happened at the University of Oklahoma, losing a five-star, going in, getting four-star Chandler Morris to commit a day after the decommitment from Brock Vandegrift. All of a sudden, 
you're concerned about depth at the quarterback position as well. I feel as though the coach speak is going to go as far into attempting to get Mordecai to stay until classes begin in the fall, because we know that once classes begin, you by NCAA rules can no longer transfer and you are stuck at the university of Oklahoma. I say stuck, like it's a bad thing to work with Lincoln Riley for another year, but you're stuck at the university of Oklahoma for one additional year. Why Spencer Rattler steps onto the field as the starter. And if he doesn't do it game one, I believe that it will be before conference play hits. But needless to say, no, I, if he's if he's here in August, he's here for the season. No, Tanner Mordecai is yeah. here for the season. I agree. You you missed what I said. Okay. I guess what I'm saying is if, T- if Spencer uh, Rattler doesn't start, oh, he's game one. He's starting. He he's, starts before conference that, play. There, there's begins. there is no, in my opinion, there's no other way to look at Spencer Rattler coming into that game as anything other than the passing of the torch. And I think right. everybody knows that, including right. Tanner Mordecai. And here's what I said uh, in our last episode. It's it's worth repeating. Tanner Mordecai is a redshirt freshman. So that means he's been on campus for two seasons. So he saw the quarterback competition with Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall. And he knew. Every, you know, when you're in that locker room, when you're on that field, there there's no way. There is no way. The quarterback competition between Austin Kendall and Kyler Murray should have gone into fall camp. Right, but like I said, we've seen time and time well, again. Here's, it's, it's a ploy. It's here's a the point. But here's the point I'm making is that Mordecai saw that. And then this summer he was involved in the quarterback competition with Spencer Rattler and Jalen Hurts. And and again, everyone knows Jalen Hurts didn't transfer from being the backup quarterback at Alabama to be the backup quarterback at Oklahoma. Right. Everybody knew Jalen Hurts was a starting quarterback. And now you're Tanner Mordecai, and you've seen Spencer Rattler go onto that Peach Bowl field. You know when spring ball rolls around, this is the guy everyone's looking to as their team leader. You know where you sit. Mm-hmm. There's If he's transferring, if he's transferring, there's zero chance he's going to go through the summer. Because he knows. He, he's seen it. He's seen it happen twice. And he was involved in one of them with Jalen Hurts. He knows how this is going to play out. So you're not staying. You're, you're just – you're not. You're going to get your credits. Get your – you know, get out of here. Transfer somewhere where you can play. Mordecai was a, was a pretty highly recruited kid. He's going to have options once he hits the transfer portal. Oklahoma loses Brock Vandergriff. Vandergriff says he wants to stay closer to home – Five-star quarterback for 2021, number one rated pro-style quarterback in that class. But that happened on January 1st, January 2nd. The All-American Bowl starts, Under Armour All-American Bowl starts with Chandler Morris saying that he's coming to the University of Oklahoma. Not only has Chandler Morris committed to the University of Oklahoma, you may or may not know this, not only has he committed to the University of Oklahoma, he's already signed with Oklahoma. He signed early as a part of that class. They kept it all under wraps. And now it's all official. Oklahoma does have their quarterback for 2020. And if you're Chandler Morris, you look in. If, if all this plays out with Chandler Mordecai, you're Chandler Morris. You look into a situation where, like Spencer Rattler had this year, where you have the chance to be QB number two, but also um, Tanner Schaefer or somebody's going to be, when the season starts, somebody's actually going to be listed other than Chandler Morris will be listed as QB two. Mm-hmm. So you can try to protect that red shirt. A lot of people believe that Spencer Rattler is a three-year player. 
So that puts Chandler Morris in a situation where he sits behind Spencer Rattler for one year, officially becomes QB2 the second year, and then you've got one more year, the third year of Spencer well, Rattler, and, leaving and you two full years at least. You say that, and, and Rattler would be eligible for right, the draft. Right, as a sophomore, as, as a redshirt sophomore. sophomore. Yeah. Exactly. There, There is a lot at play when it comes to the quarterback position, but I believe it was absolutely imperative for Oklahoma to get and and I wasn't on this train. I know, I know. Up front, which is why you're you. I know. I wasn't uh, on this I'm train. I'm waiting to hear those magic words. Until until Brock Vandegrift the situation unfolded and as we know, he's decommitted. I was asked today if I believed that it was really because of family situations. And my response uh, Matt, my response is yes. Mm. You shake your head mm. no and here's the truth is Interviews will be done down the road. I know that his dad is is scheduled to sit down with 247 Sports and divulge some information about that. But ultimately, on the surface, I say yes. And it's because we just came out of the holidays. Mm-mm. Maybe it's no. an easy excuse for you. Maybe it's it's a cop-out. But it is what it is. Do you know something? Do you want to give us some information well, here? First of all, I, I need to hear the magic words. What magic words? The magic I words about one of us saying Chandler so, Morris so, okay, and one let, of us let's, saying let's go back to not that. going to get a quarterback. Um, I believe that it was – I'm trying to remember how that went. Which one of us said they wouldn't take a quarterback in 2020? Oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> I believe – we'll go back to that. After the Vandegrift situation unfolded, not knowing that Morris had already signed, it was absolutely imperative that – he did sign Morris being the only quarterback who was undecided that actually held an offer from the university of Oklahoma. I didn't think it was coming a Juco route because who wants to come via Juco to sit behind a freshman? Mm -hmm. I just didn't see that happening in, in any world. So it had to come from a senior in high school. As I said, Chandler Morris, the only one who was available who had yet to commit, but still held that offer. So my apologies, Matt. You were right. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. My my <laughs> apologies. You were right in that Oklahoma would sign a quarterback. I still held to the fact that it wasn't necessary, but it became necessary. Yeah, but see, I think it was – again, it's a numbers game. It was always necessary because you're most likely losing somebody, and that's where I think we're seeing that play out in real time as well. Going back to Vandegrift, here's what this comes down to. Brock Vandegrift is a very – gifted athlete. He's got a bright future ahead of himself. He's four years away from playing at the university of Oklahoma because he has his senior year of high school. And then he would come to OU and he would have two, maybe three more years of the Spencer Rattler era. So Brock Vandegrift says he wants to stay closer to home. What Brock Vandergriff is saying is, I want to play football. Georgia happens to have an outgoing quarterback. LSU. Outgoing quarterback. Both of those are closer. Yeah, but I, I didn't even think LSU was one of the, the targets, one of the places uh, that he was heavily considering. Look, this, to me, it came down to, opening up to his Tennessee, recruiting, Auburn, is, and Georgia, which get immediately. A lot of, well, Auburn doesn't fit the mold because Bo Nix is just a, right, a freshman. Right, and, and that's what um, I'm saying is I'm crossing them a lot off the list. Yeah, well, that's what Tennessee's I'm saying. Tennessee's not a good enough football program. He's not going to go in and Peyton Manning that mm-hmm. that that team specifically. Look, there's you can't you can't say – I'm not coming to Oklahoma because 
I don't want to sit behind Spencer Rattler. And and look, when, when you see Spencer Rattler come out on the field of the Peach Bowl, that is a resounding gong, if you will, to everybody. Mm-hmm. Tanner Mordecai got the message. Brock Vandergriff got the message. Chandler Morris got the message. Everybody got the message. This is the future. De'Aaron King got – listen, Oklahoma fans. De'Aaron King is not coming to <laughs> OU. Stop it. He's not. He. I believe he'll finish his career at Houston. I don't care where he finishes his career. I'm just telling you, he's not coming to Oklahoma. <laughs> when, you, you know that – this is crazy, stupid analogy. But you know that scene off of the Pirates, the original Pirates of the Caribbean, when they dropped the medallion in the water, it's like boom. Sends out this shockwave, you know, across the pirate galaxy, so to speak. That's the noise that came out across college football <laughs> when Spencer Rattler stepped on the field in the fourth quarter. <laughs> on national TV. Yeah, and Brock Vander's going, okay, this guy really is the future. Do I want to sit behind him for three years? And the answer to that is no. When, when you are as talented as Brock Vandergriff is, you want to play. And you're looking at Jake Fromm. If Jake Fromm doesn't come out this year, he's gone next year. Mm-hmm. And then you step in as a true freshman. You get to be the next Jake Fromm. Yeah, and what's crazy is the the landscape of college football when it comes to quarterback recruits has changed drastically, I would say, in the past 10 years. All of a sudden, you've got Tua Tagovailoa, freshman, wins the national championship for Alabama you have Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. who comes in and does it in the second year, and they're competing immediately for these starting jobs, even though they were expected to sit. I see where you're coming from, and I'm completely on board with that argument. And then I see the writing on the wall for Georgia is that Jake Fromm, pro-style quarterback, it's an offense, it's a team that's really built for that style of a quarterback, which brings me to the question The trend that we've seen in college football is mobile quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. They've really dominated the landscape across the nation, regardless of conference. And that doesn't matter whether it's Trevor Lawrence, who a tall quarterback could be a pro style, but has deceptive speed, which I think we saw against Ohio State. And anyone who says that he's not capable of evading and then outpacing defenders to the end zone is absolutely nuts after watching (laughs) that specific game. Then you've got, I mean, everyone said Ohio State was fast on the defensive side of the ball, but no one was touching Trevor Lawrence. Then um, you've mentioned guys like Derek King. We've had Kyler Murray. We've had Baker Mayfield just here at the University of Oklahoma. Johnny Manziel, you could include him in that. Vince Young may have been at the very early onset of that trend before it caught on like wildfire, but we are seeing dual-threat quarterbacks take over, and that's trickling upwards into the NFL. Deshaun Watson, um, Russell, what's his name? Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson, yeah, thank you. You're, you're a student of the NFL, <laughs> I, aren't you? I, I'm not. I'm, I don't ever watch the NFL, largely because I don't have cable to do so. So needless to say, the question that I wanted to ask when it came to Brock Vandegriff, do you think that – and I know that Lincoln Riley would tool the offense to whoever the quarterback is, mm-hmm. but does he fit the mold of what we've seen here at Oklahoma? I'm not asking whether he's a viable option because I fully believe that he is, and Oklahoma would have welcomed Vandegrift with open arms every day of the week. But does he fit the mold of what we've seen in the past for Oklahoma when it comes to quarterbacks? 
Yeah, I, I think – I mean, look, there's there's nothing in Brock Vandergriff's game that would make him not fit in with what Lincoln Riley's doing. And keep in mind that this is a 2021 recruit. So the first time you're going to see him on the field, you know, in an Oklahoma uniform – Right, right. And so, I mean, this you're looking down the road with this kid, but there there was nothing um, – there's nothing in his game that wouldn't fit in with what Lincoln Riley does. Lincoln Riley has shown through the th- last three quarterbacks, Baker, Kyler, and Jalen, what he can do with a talented quarterback. And so if you're Brock Vandergriff, you're not coming you're, – you're not decommitting – because there's nothing there for right, you. Right. If you're Brock Vandergriff, you're decommitting because there's a bigger opportunity. Of, maybe not a bigger opportunity. Maybe it's a more um, a, a uh, more recent opportunity. I don't know. You you get to play sooner at the University of Georgia. You get to play sooner at the at the uh, at LSU than you would at the University of Oklahoma. Everybody knows that, including Brock Vandergriff and his family. And if you're not coming to Norman, you're going to go to Athens, Georgia, or you're going to end up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. What do you say? I want to stay closer to home. I want I want I want my family to see me play. And I do believe that's true. I really do. I do believe that his family wants to watch him play. But you know what they have to you know what has to happen in order for his family to watch him play? He's got to play. And so <laughs> that's that's what it all comes Stating down to. Stating the obvious, huh? Yeah, so that's what it all boils down to. Brock Vandegrift, listen, don't don't hate on this kid. Don't uh, I know how Oklahoma fans get. Don't I'm just saying don't. Your Oklahoma is is good at the quarterback position. We've got the you, you've got the the future the future is now, I guess, and Spencer Rattler. And then Chandler Morris is coming, and this is Chandler Morris. Here, here's what people need to do. Look, you need to look at Chandler Morris's game film. I know it's high school, but look at his game film. And then when he gets on campus and he participates in fall in those fall scrimmages, he gets some garbage time in those four games he's allowed as a true freshman. And then he steps up that following spring. Watch him. Do you know who he's going to remind you of? Nope. Tell me. He's going to remind you of Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying he is a Baker Mayfield, but he's going to remind you. He's got that Baker Mayfield type body, a little bit undersized. He's a gunslinger. He's he's. A, I mean, this isn't this isn't bad. I'm not saying a, in, a, in a bad way, but he's he's extremely confident in his abilities, and he doesn't mind talking some trash. So Chandler Morris is going to make Oklahoma fans reminisce of the days of Baker Mayfield just by the way he looks and by the way he plays. And you don't you you don't become a four star quarterback prospect who gets to announce your decision in the Under Armour All American game just for being average. So let's say this kid that's I mean his dad's a coach, kid knows football. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma got a good quarterback. And going back to to Vandegrift because I know that's the focal point of the conversation. There's no I, I get saying that you're decommitting. But nothing set in stone, while it's very slim possibilities that he recommits to Oklahoma, I wanted to forward that conversation and say, who who's that next big target then for Oklahoma? Because I believe each and every year, Oklahoma is going to bring in a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what I've said in the past, I believe they're bringing one in each and every year. And as you look at a kid who's in high school, the possibility or even the opportunity to work with or work under a guy like Lincoln Riley has to be extremely appealing given his track record. So who's that, that next guy? Do you have a name? 
Yeah, yeah. The guy you need to be looking at right now is Caleb Williams out of Washington, D.C., uh, 6'1", class of 2021, dual-threat quarterback. Georgia's in on him. LSU is in on him. Oregon's in on him. Oklahoma's in on him. This is a kid that everybody wants. Clemson wants him. Um, right. You, and, and the- you name it, they want him. And, he, again, watch watch how the dominoes fall. Watch Brock Vandergriff because Georgia's recruiting Caleb Williams as well. Mm-hmm. Vandergriff ends up signing or committing to Georgia. Th- these two guys will not go to the same school. Right. So that's where that's where I believe Oklahoma is turning their attention to for 2021. I agree. I, I still think they're going for a quarterback. And Caleb Williams is the well, guy they, you need they to keep have an eye to. On. And the one thing that I really like about Caleb Williams, because I'm in agreement, that's the name to watch currently. And we'll as people commit, as quarterbacks commit, we'll just march on down the list, mm-hmm. staying as close to the top as possible. But Caleb Williams, I think, is one of the more interesting prospects for the simple reason that he's at Gonzaga College High School. Why would you name a school that? I've never understood. But they play one of the most difficult um, schedules in the country when it comes to high school football. So here's a guy who is already what you could consider battle-tested and not afraid of a little bit of competition, not afraid of, of taking matters into his own hands in order to secure that win. I like what he brings to the table and I I'm 100% sold that the focus has already shifted to him. And I'm a hundred percent sold on the idea that Oklahoma has already made some inroads there. You got to remember hundred percent. I agree. You got to yeah. remember Caleb Williams. Isn't the first prospect that Oklahoma has gone after out of Washington, DC mm-hmm. is the name Parnell Motley ring a bell. Charles Tapper for you. There are some inroads. Yeah, I mean, of course, Tapper was Baltimore, but still the same, you know, right. That's like an hour away. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, count it. We'll count it. Yeah, it, yeah. So it was. It's like 2021. Oh, you know? Do you know without cheating? Do you know how many commitments Oklahoma has for 2021? 2021, eight, two. Oh, <laughs> a lot so, lower than like, I thought the, it would the be. The 2020 is not even closed yet. So there's still a lot of time for 2021. Um, that's why. But <clears throat> because the 2020 cycle hasn't closed yet. That's why Chandler Morris was was huge, right? And uh, and you got to give uh, Lincoln Riley and staff credit for getting this kid when his dad is hired as offensive coordinator at Auburn, and you still get him to come to Norman. That's a big big deal. We're gonna come back and talk some more football. We got to talk about C.D. Lamb, who's gonna step up and replace him. Uh, we got to talk about Kenneth Murray, who's gonna step up and, and replace him. But let's step off of the gridiron for just a minute and onto the hardwood. Oklahoma getting ready to start conference play this Saturday in basketball. The Sooners will host Kansas State before going on the road for their next two games. Kind of a brutal start to the Big 12 conference uh, play, if you will, for Oklahoma. Sooners at home against Kansas State, and then you go on the road for at in Austin, Texas, that Ames, Iowa, and then you finally get to come home. But oh yeah, it's the Kansas Jayhawks uh, that you're going to host in Norman on the 14th of January. The Sooners right now sitting at nine and three. To me, that that's one game behind pace. I always look at conference uh, non-conference play, and for me, again, I'm saying you want to be at ten wins going into conference play Oklahoma at nine wins. They're going to have to pick up some wins in conference play. You got to, you got to find a way to get 10 wins. And I, I think beating Kansas state at home is absolutely imperative to that 10 win conference uh, season that you're looking for to get into the NCAA tournament. There are some teams 
in conference that, that you can get. And you got to get them at home. You, you got to get them at home. And then you got to pick up one or two wins on the road. Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU, Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the team that scares me. They're sitting nine and three. They've played a, a pretty good non-conference and schedule. They have an a win. win. Yes, over the top team. I, Texas Tech will not finish in the bottom half of the Big Twelve. But you, I look at teams like Kansas. I, I, I they're they're going to be Kansas. Can you? Are there ten wins to be found in conference play? The answer to that question, in my opinion, is yes. But it starts by defending the home court, and that starts this Saturday against Kansas State. What are your thoughts? I agree with you. When we look at this, the conference slate, we know the Big 12 historically and in recent years has been a strong conference from top to bottom. It's evidenced by the number of teams that consistently make the field of 64 for the NCAA tournament. A lot of that has to do with the non-conference scheduling, the non-conference portion that each of these athletic directors puts in front of their team in order to build some kind of resume before we even get right. to conference play. So not only is that those, those first 10 games, not only are they important, but the 20 games that we'll play here in conference essentially are, I mean, vitally Important, if you ask me, because you want to finish in the top half of the conference. When I look at this conference, though, Matt, it's once again going to be difficult top to bottom. And Oklahoma only has three players who have ever played a conference game on the roster at this point in time. Sure, you've got the Juco transfer who sat out last year and has experience because of that, but hasn't actually played in a game hasn't stepped onto the hardwood against a conference opponent. It's going to be up to the guys like Brady Manick and Christian Doolittle to really settle this team and to make sure that they know what to expect. But more importantly, you're going to look to them for the leadership. You're going to look to them to set the tone each and every time up and down the floor to answer your question. Are there 10 wins on the conference board? I think upsets happen it, basketball is is one of the games where one of the sports I should say where an off night is extremely costly mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily recover an off half can be extremely costly where you don't have enough time in the second half or what whenever that that bad half comes in you just don't have time to recover and like I said upsets happen that's how the sport is built. It's these runs. It's that ebb and flow of the offense and the defense and the fast breaks and, and rebounding. There's just a lot that goes into it. I don't need to tell you that. Are there 10 wins? I think there are. If you ask me to pick them out, I'm going to tell you, no, I can't do that right now. <laughs> Oklahoma um, closed out conference play with just a, a huge win over UT Rio Grand Valley. Now, here's the thing. You're going you're gonna to look at this and say, yeah, well, it's UT Rio Grand Valley. It used to be Texas Pan Am. This is a team that held a lead over Texas Tech going into the half in Lubbock. Sooners just with putting everything out there. Brady Manning, career high, 29 points. Here's the thing. A guy that you mentioned, Kristen Doolittle, has been suspended twice now earlier in this season. He missed a season opener because he played in some sort of pickup game that was unsanctioned by the NCAA. He mentioned this, he missed this last game of the non-conference slate because of 
conflict of interest to the team is what uh, how long Kruger put that. He's got to get his head on. He's the only senior on this team. He's the the leader as the only senior on this team. He leads the team in in points per game, 16.7. If Kristen Doolittle can't get things figured out and do what a senior needs to do, no, there's not 10 wins available. But one thing to note is in his absence, a star was born in Kirk With. Uh, this this kid was just just flying literally through the gym. I don't, I don't I don't know exactly how many dunks that he ended up <laughs> with in the game, but he he's uh he had three right right from the start. And obviously just being a freshman, um it uh, I'm sorry, he's a junior, but he's he's a transfer in. Um but uh it was career night for him. And you know he played 26 minutes and he um Produced 17 points and eight rebounds, three assists, two block shots. Go to go to Twitter, enter this kid's name, K-U-R-K-U-A-T-A, and just look at how athletic this kid is. I'll, I'm not saying Oklahoma can get by without Kristen Doolittle, but I am saying there was a the glass is half full type situation when you watch how this kid played the other night in Doolittle's absence. Oklahoma, here's here's what I'm getting to. When you, when you look at this game, or you look at this team, well, you and I have talked about it through the non-conference schedule. Two things that have really haunted this team have been poor bench play and the lack of rebounds. Mm-hmm. Sooners dominated the glass in their last game. Clearly, you and I have been around Lon Kruger. We've been in those practices. When he wants to emphasize something, he emphasizes that there's no doubt in my mind. Rebounding became a point of emphasis leading up to that game. But bench practice, bench play, is gonna is gonna um, have a big role here. And you look at guys like Quith here, and you got to think, gosh, th- there's a talent there, and he's athletic. He can provide you quality minutes off the bench if he continues to make runs like what he just did. Give me your thoughts. Oklahoma, Lon Kruger specifically, is still tinkering with the roster, finding. A spot, let me just say it this way, because I don't know how to articulate it any other way. Devion Harmon has been placed on the bench instead of being in the starting lineup, and you're starting to see him excel in that role. We see that often where a guy is shifted from a starter to the first one off the bench, and it it motivates them. I, I don't know what it does, but it energizes them, it motivates them, and they all of a sudden begin playing at a much higher level than they did when they were given the responsibility of a starter. So I believe Lon Kruger still tinkering with this roster, still tinkering with his rotation and what he wants to do. I believe he's getting closer and closer to figuring that out. And again, with conference play, you hope that it is figured out. But I I, I believe when you look at this specific set of players, there is talent there. The question is, how will they mature as a team, how did they mature first off over the non-conference portion of the schedule and how will they mature? Because we're going to talk the thunder, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, w- I will point out is that you can take a band of misfits like the thunder. And if you can actually begin to have them buy in 
to what you're selling as a coaching staff, they can achieve things that weren't once thought possible from that collective. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Oklahoma. You've got a couple transfers coming in. You've got a, a set of freshmen coming in. Oklahoma had a big class this past recruiting class, and now it's trying to get all these pieces to work together in a new environment and a new setting that actually is productive and produces a mark in the W column instead of just playing well, but still getting the loss. Yeah, let's go ahead and make that transition because I, you know, we, with football season ending, we're going to talk more football, but we basketball takes precedent and we won't spend a lot of time uh, on the thunder. If you want good thunder uh, stuff outside of what we're about to just discuss, follow the, the thunder guys on Twitter, the thunder guys, they've got their own uh, podcast that they, they dedicate an hour to it. But I don't know that I would do, I would, describe this group as a band of misfits. I mean, they're 18 and 15 on the season, best record in, in the West uh, for the month of December. Billy Donovan figuring out this guy actually can coach. He was the conference coach of the month for, for December. Th this is a team that everybody just kind of wrote off. And, you know, going back a month and a half ago, everybody's like, mm -hmm. yeah, just fire sale. Everyone's available. You want Gallinari? Here's how much he costs. You want Chris Paul? Here's how much he costs. You know, you want Steven Adams? Here's what he costs. Now, now that talk is changing from fire sale to, wait a minute, this team is actually competitive. They've got to win over the Clippers. They, they fire sell, fire sell S E L L self. Oh. Sorry. Like, I was trying to figure out what you were um, saying, but the, the, <laughs> the point I'm making is I don't know when, when you talk about a guy on this roster, like Chris Paul, an all-pro player. By the way, let's talk about him here in just a second. When you talk about guys like Steven Adams, uh, SGA is just incredible to watch. Um, the, Dennis Schroeder, Gallinari. The, the point I'm saying is this. This is a team that's not just duct taped together. I think what we're finding out about this team is, is that – the LA Clippers of yesterday. Well, no, they're, they're, they're not. Yes, they they're are. They're not. But the point, the point is the biggest thing that you're finding out with the thunder right now is what you've got in Billy Donovan, because Billy Donovan, he's, he's the Jason Garrett of the NBA. The Dallas Cowboys don't have to fire Jason Garrett because his contract has expired. You just don't renew the contract. Billy Donovan is in the last year of his contract and he doesn't, he doesn't have another contract yet. So if you're Sam Presta, you're looking, Hey, I'm giving you these guys. You've got some seasoned veterans. You've got some good, talented, young and upcomers, mix them together. Show me what you can do. And it's, it's, in, it's impressive to me when you take a certain player out of the mix, suddenly Billy Donovan can coach. That's 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 what I've got with the Thunder right now. Here, when I look at Billy Donovan, I feel as though the powers that be put him in his wheelhouse for this season. And I know a lot of people will remember, if you're my age, maybe if, not if you're younger, but if you're my age and older, you will remember that Billy Donovan was a national championship coach at the University of Florida. Uh -huh. It's not as if he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's not as if he doesn't know how to coach a team and motivate a team. You don't win national championships at any level if you don't have those qualities or characteristics or attributes. When I look at Billy Donovan, 
This is a roster that is filled with eight newcomers and eight returning players. What does that sound like? I mean, it sounds like a college basketball team, doesn't it? That's why I say Billy Donovan's really been put in his elements. And where Oklahoma City was at the beginning of the season was they were at a point of trying to figure out how to play together. But more importantly, they were at a point of saying, how do we finish? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you look at the month of December and you have these double-digit 20-plus point come-from-behind wins. Oklahoma City has figured out how to finish. Not only that, I believe they are the best fourth quarter defense at this point in the NBA. You're looking, at my opinion, a coach who's who's earning another contract, who's earning an extension to remain at Oklahoma City. But more importantly, is your I'm calling him a band of misfits. I don't care what you think, okay? You're looking at a band of misfits that I equate to the LA Clippers of last year who can be disruptive assuming they make the playoffs. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't want them to. Well, and that's that's the, the next point I was going to get at is do you want this team in the playoffs? I if, say yes. I mean, I you all the playoffs are always – because you look at the number of young guys on this team. SGA is going to be a star. He, he's the guy you're going to build around. I – I've always been a fan of Chris Paul. You know I'm a Clippers fan, and so I've. But before I was before he ever played for the Clippers, I went and watched him when he was with New Orleans playing here in Oklahoma City after Hurricane I Katrina. I just watched him at Wake Forest. And so the point is, um, the point is, the SD, Chris Paul's not here building around. You're building around SGA. You get that kid in the playoffs, let him have that experience. you want if you're a Thunder fan and you don't want your team in the playoffs. It's ridiculous because here's the point. You have so much draft capital right now. If there's a player in the lottery that you want, if there's a player in the lottery you want, you got the resources to go out and make a push to get him. But there is no Zach Randolph right now that I'm looking at um, in this upcoming draft. Go get the experience. See what you've got. Keep chessing your coach. Make the determination whether you want to keep him or let him slide. But I mean, don't don't tank it in. Don't don't wish your team to tank it in. Here, I I'm not a Thunder fan, so I I talk differently than other people around this part of the United States. But one thing I've heard from multiple Thunder fans, including my very own son, is that they're having more fun watching this team than they've had in the the past couple of years. That's a general consensus right. that I've heard as well, and I've heard that's not just from a fan standpoint. That's the players as well as the front office. It's across the board. This fun aspect Mm -hmm. has been brought back to the game. And maybe people can point the blame here or there, but let's go back and revisit some of what Kevin Durant had said when he began exploring options, whether that was his move to Golden State or now Brooklyn. We essentially saw... A guy who said the game wasn't fun anymore. They had a superstar, but it wasn't fun. All of a sudden, you remove a superstar from the equation, and this team is fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of. It's fun to be in the front office. Are you kidding me here? When I look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, Matt, I'm in the same boat as you are in saying that. 
you do want them to make the playoffs. And it was because of the point that you made. They have draft picks for days. Mm-hmm. What's one more draft pick going to do? It's not It's not going to make a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. What are you going to do? Send someone down to the blue? I, I honestly believe... They got the ball kid now. I know, <laughs> but, but I honestly believe Oklahoma City is set when it comes to draft picks. One yeah, extra it, I mean, or additional draft pick in the lottery isn't isn't going to change the outcome or the trajectory of this franchise anytime soon. My personal opinion. All right, let's jump into football one more time to, to close out the last uh, five or six minutes here of the podcast. Um, let's start with the Big 12 Bowl performances. Terrible. Uh, terrible. Yeah, I think, terrible. It, I think it goes back to really what the perception was. And, and I don't know that we, you and I disagreed with the perception, but that the Big 12 is down. This this right. isn't this 2019 was not the Big 12 of 2018 was not the Big 12 2017 was not the Big 12 2016. This was a down year and and it goes back to here's what it goes back to Kyler Murray is in Arizona, Will Greer is in the NFL, Dana Holgerson is in Houston Texas, Cliff Kingsbury is at Arizona. You know your star running backs, your star wide receivers. You had very little star power. At the quarterback position, you got a bunch of up and coming talent at the wide receiver position. A bunch of up and coming talent. The best offensive line in in all of the Big Twelve this year was in Ames, Iowa. That just this this year across the board was a down year for the Big Twelve. And at, we when we did our our bowl previews, uh, well, when I, we did a season preview, Matt, it went back that far. Well, I'm just saying when we did the bowl, pre, you're right on. Um, when we did the season preview talking about it being a bit a down year, but I said, and I don't think you disagreed. This is a tough bowl draw for the big 12. I don't usually agree with you. So I know probably disagreed with it. You probably disagreed with now, it. I, I don't, I don't remember. I don't honestly don't even remember having that conversation, but we talked about the shift in philosophy mm-hmm. that the running backs were going to take center stage. We talked about the youngness at quarterback, the lack of experience across the board, despite having guys like Brock Purdy, who had a year starting under his belt. We talked about the coaching changes that were taking place at Texas Tech, at West Virginia. Of course, teams got some surprise wins here and there, but ultimately there was a lot of turnover, mm-hmm. not just on the field, but with the coaching staffs as well. You ultimately have this recipe for disaster. The Big 12 could have simply imploded at that point in time, and I don't know if they would have been absorbed by another conference, but that's a talk for another time. No, that's not. That, that's that's ridiculous. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> Here, here's my parting shot on, uh, on the 2019 college football season. If there was a year, if there was a year for Texas to jump up and grab a hold of the Big 12 again, it was 2019. I agree with you. And... They fin- I mean, listen, yes, Texas, you won the Alamo Bowl. Let's keep that in perspective. You won the Alamo Bowl. Over a team that was once ranked ahead of the University of Oklahoma. Over a team that, that is over against ranked opponents this season. Mm-hmm. But you won the Alamo Bowl. But here's the thing. You lost five games. Four of them were in conference. If, if Texas was going to be back, this was the year. Preseason quarterback, yeah, all Big Twelve quarterback, yeah. Speaking of quarterback, let me change the subject real fast. Charlie Brewer, 
you got to think the guy uh, concussed against Texas, concussed against Oklahoma. Uh, there's no way he wasn't concussed in that game against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. He, they even said that he, after the Oklahoma game, after the Big 12 championship game, he sat in a dark room for a week and didn't remember it. Is At what point does someone come up and say, Charlie, we love you, but you need to step away. You need to pull the Grant Calcaterra and step away while you can still spell your name. Is that, am I, am I way, I mean, that's, I, by I my, by my count, think about it. Texas, Big 12 championship, Sugar Bowl, three of the last four games, the guy got a concussion. Why They're is saying, he still playing? I, I pulled it up. They're saying neck issues and that the medical staff, well, he didn't exhibit medical staff saying he didn't exhibit any issues mm. with his head, but he's still being monitored. I'm, I'm in agreement with you in a dark room for a week and didn't remember it. Rich. I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Matt. At some point in time, health and future health have to take the, the front row and have to be at the center of the conversation. Yeah. Will someone – I, I think the better question is what extent are we – and I'm not talking about you and I, but college football programs, to what extent are they willing to attempt to win games? Yeah, well, that's Matt, what it says Matt Rule me. doesn't care because he's off to the NFL. Okay, so um, – And Dallas? Uh, New York Giants. You heard it here first. <laughs> Real quick, uh, we got two <laughs> minutes. Uh, CeeDee Lamb gone to the NFL for going his senior season. Kenneth Murray for going to the NFL for going his senior season. Give me a couple of names real fast, Rich. Who, who's going to step up in that X uh, receiver spot that CeeDee Lamb has filled for the last three years? Um, obviously, you immediately turn to the freshmen that are there. I think Rambo's still going to hold his position, but I'm looking at a guy like Hazelwood or I'm looking at Theo Weiss mm-hmm. as the, the main options, and I think Bridges will be on the opposite side. Um, I see. I think you're saying Bridges moving to defense. No, no, no. Oh, oh, opposite side. Oh, oh, okay, okay. But if you have three receivers <laughs> gotcha. out there, okay, who's CD Lamb? For me, the the name that I'm gonna peg right here is Theo Weiss. Uh, watch for him. A little bit quieter of a of a of a freshman campaign than Jaden Hazelwood. I think Jason Hazelwood is gonna be a star. I think next year you can easily see Jason Hazelwood in the Y. Jaden. Jaden. That's what I'm saying. Jason. Um I'm trying to hurry. Hazelwood in the Y, Charleston Rambo in the Z, Theo Weiss in the X, that CeeDee Lamb's old spot. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh Mike Linebacker, Kenneth Murray gone. Brian Mead came into the Peach Bowl to uh sub for him uh when he went down with I don't know what it was, cramping or whatever in the Peach Bowl. Brian Mead is a going to be a, a redshirt junior, a redshirt senior uh, in 2020. He's a former walk-on. He is not the answer at Mike Linebacker. Who he is, Rich? Caleb Kelly. Caleb Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I look. I, I agree with you, but <laughs> but just for uh, conversation's sake, don't overlook the potential of Deshaun White swapping out of the wheel and moving to that, the middle. That's actually really intriguing. We'll have to monitor that. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. We tried to uh, get in and out as quick as we could with this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. We'll have more coming up soon, including follow-ups from Oklahoma's game against Kansas State in basketball, more recruiting news as it hits, and uh, more football news as we anxiously await spring practice. Less than three in months the era away. of Spencer Rattler, but as you have everybody. affectionately termed it. <laughs>